All right. Would you guys turn the rest of the house lights on? Can you guys do that? I need them up here. I only got one eyeball. There we go. All right. I only got one eyeball. All right. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. The message is entitled, God Illuminates the Believer. Paul, um, having heard in prison about the faith of the Ephesians in the Lord Jesus Christ, how they were trusting him and coming to him and how they were loving those who were Christians also. He gives unceasing thanks, interceding for them in prayer that God would um, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Remember, this is four to five years after he has left Ephesus, and um, the gospel still has the effective power to save, in spite of the pagan background, in spite of the debauchery, and he rejoices over that. Now remember, in the first division of um, the epistle is chapter 1 through 3, the wealth of the believer by the love of God. And Paul just rejoices that someone in the world can be so transformed that they can yield to the love of God, to love the people of God. Far different from the love they used to exercise in the world, which is very partial, very selfish and everything else. And, uh, and he's rejoicing in prison as he hears this. Now we stated that the word that in verse 17 refers to the intent and purpose of Paul's prayer. The purpose was one of a, um, a specific request that God would give to them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ there in verse 17. Now Paul gives the result of that petition, their spiritual illumination by the Holy Spirit in order to know three specific things that are given to us in verses 18 and 19. Let me read here, 18 and 19. The eyes of your understanding being illuminated, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, that are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So the three specific things that are a result of this petition are as follows. The call God has for their life, first of all. Verse 18, the beginning. Secondly, the value God sees in their life, the last part of 18. And thirdly, the power God gives to their life in verse 19. The call God has for their life comes first. It's foundational. Once we come to Christ, there's a purpose behind God saving you. It isn't just to give you fire insurance so you don't go to hell. The Apostle Paul noticed, declared, the result or outcome of his prayer requests for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen to his words. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So the believer is able to perceive and comprehend spiritual things for their walk with Jesus Christ. The word eyes uh, refers to the, um, the physical organ of the body, as you know, what you can see and perceive to identify things. But the context plainly reveals that the word is not used of literal eyes. The word is used figuratively, of the eyes of the mind regarding the faculties of knowing spiritual things through the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus as a new man, in the inner man, the new creation. The minute you were born again, you knew certain things were absolutely true. You knew you were a sinner before now. You know that you're a new creation. You knew that you had eternal life. You knew that if you die, you're instantly present. You knew your sins were forgiven. There are certain things you just understood right away. When you heard the gospel, you understood clearly that you were a sinner. By the Spirit of God, nothing to do with your intellect. The word understanding confirms the figurative meaning, notice. 
It means the faculties of our mind to perceive clearly and correctly. This is due to the result of the wisdom again and revelation that is in knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's never apart from him. We've already seen that and established it up to this point. It's always in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, whom Christ, everything in him. He's the key. The other reading in some manuscripts has the word heart instead of eyes. You'll read that in some other translations. The word heart again refers to the inner man also, the new man in Christ. So either one will do, doesn't make any difference. The center of your spiritual life of the believer, that's what the heart indicates, as you know. The fountain of seed of thoughts, passions, desires, the affection, the purposes and the endeavors. God has given to us a new heart, a new heart of flesh to instruct us, we're told. In 2 Corinthians 3, 3, it says, Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, um, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tables of stone, but on tables of flesh, that is, of the heart. In Hebrews 10.22 it says, Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So Christ has changed our hearts. Our hearts used to be obstinate, hard, rejecting God. And when God convicted us, He gave us a heart that's pliable, submissive and open to Him. Now, the activity is possible because the Holy Spirit had regenerated them, not mere human intellect. So we have to be careful. God will use our brain, but he doesn't depend on it. This knowledge comes through the sphere of spirit, completely different from the human endeavor or the natural realm. The word enlightened, photiza, get photograph, photosynthesis with compound words. It means to shed rays or to shine or to illuminate. The word is a participle perfect, we're told by the Greek scholars, um, in the middle voice, literally having been enlightened. So the minute you're born again, your eyes are open to so many things. You can see a two-way street now, darkness and light. You can see people that are lost, people that are saved. Your eyes are wide open. The believer's eyes have been illuminated through the new birth and are spiritually alive. Later on, we'll read in chapter 2, we were dead in trespasses since, and now he made us alive. They have the capacity to receive and perceive the things of God now. The phrase may give applies to both wisdom and revelation. The error is active continuously. Once you're born again, you and I have the capacity to receive wisdom and knowledge from the Lord. To receive things from Him. We didn't have that capacity before. Paul is praying for the Ephesians that as they continue to walk in Christ, all that they learn might be made alive by the Holy Spirit, giving them spiritual and practical understanding regarding all their spiritual blessings, because this section is spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. These are the blessings that we're able to see, we're able to understand. We're able to hear the voice of God. We're able to, to, to obey Him. These are all spiritual blessings. The sister epistle, Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 12, deals with the same issue. Now notice the apostle, Paul here, then revealed the first specific area he desired they would have spiritual perception about. God's plan for their lives. He says that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The statement implies the intent and purpose of God for a person. It doesn't take place automatically. Apart from the person seeking God. Those who lean so heavily upon election and predestination... 
as taught by John Calvin and his followers, do not allow any room for human choice or free will or human responsibility. So they teach the believer, if he's predestined and elected, it's by the decrees of God and nothing can alter that. So it's going to happen. But Paul is teaching otherwise. He's talking to believers and he's praying that they would seek the Lord in view of these benefits. Meaning that you can have these benefits and not be exercising them or bringing them to your benefit. The Bible clearly teaches man has human responsibility towards God. God gave Adam and Eve a clear choice and clear consequences in Genesis chapter 3. After the fall, he was responsible also for his choices and the consequences, even as Cain was judged by God as he murdered his brother Abel. Now, this statement, notice, implies that the intent and purpose of God for a person are knowable and important to be known and not to be confused with our own plans. There's a lot of people that say, well, the Lord told me or the Lord led me, but he didn't. Now, let's be clear about this. All of us will be at that place at one time or another, but it won't be the rule. Sometimes I believe the Lord directed me in something and I find out he wasn't. It was just me. But for the most part, we are directed and guided by the Lord. It's the rare occasion that it isn't the Lord leading us. We can be making our own plans and just putting God's label on it. And often a lot of people do that. The word no means to perceive with any of the senses intuitively as a believer. We can understand God's direction by the open door that we see. We can know intuitively by God speaking to my heart. I can know God's will by reading the word of God and he makes it very clear in the passage I'm reading and he makes it applicable to me. I can know by somebody speaking to me and God speaking to me through word of knowledge, that's for you. So there's a lot of ways that I can know it's God, but it's always going to be judged through his word. Never going to be in contradiction to his word. The context is the sphere of spiritual life in Christ, notice. The seeking and knowing is in order to act upon in obedience. Having greater responsibility if I don't obey. The intent and purpose of God regards the hope of his calling. Underline that. The word hope there, as you know, means um, to confidently anticipate or expect, usually with, um, with pleasure, something you're looking forward to. No one um, hopes for a good spanking when they're a kid. <laughs> okay? You're hoping that it'll be light. <laughs> the hope that we are to know is not one of uncertainty, but of certainty based on God's word and prayer for the life that is here and the one to come. As we grow here, we read and we learn about what will happen when we leave here, what heaven's going to be like. So we begin to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The clear perception of what God has called me to to be and to do for him in this life is an ongoing growth and development. From the day I began to walk with Christ, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever he may have. How I fit in God's divine plan while on earth. Am I an arm? Am I a leg? Whatever part I realize I am in the body, then I'm subject to the head. He gives the orders. I follow his plans, not my own. 
You remember Jeremiah knew the hope of God's calling on his life, and he obeyed it, despite the incredible suffering that he went through. Paul was another person like-minded. He suffered tremendously. We are told that the Christian hope is a living hope, a blessed hope, a good hope, a better hope, a sure hope, a steadfast hope. Our hope is not I hope so. Our hope is I know so. There's a big difference. Once we come to Christ, there are things that are clear in the scriptures as the hope of God's calling for our lives to live as new creatures in Christ apart from sin. There's a drastic change. There's a drastic ceasing of certain things. There's, there's a chasm now. There's a turning away 180 degrees. There are other things that do not change because they don't affect our life and they don't involve sin. So we continue on those things. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. But there's things that we were involved in and we were part of that there's no way we can continue in the same lifestyle and still call ourselves Christians or say that we have repented or been born again. Very, very clear. Also to be a witness for Jesus, for sinners to be saved. Now my life is a walking epistle, a living epistle. I'm light, I'm salt. And I can see lost people and I can see saved people. And so my focus is to the lost. As God opens those doors to minister, to pray for them, to confront them, to just give them answers. To tell them of the love of God. But also to be transformed from day to day. Being more like Jesus Christ, glorify Him in everything. And that's a, a daily commitment. And daily we, we see how much we fail. So daily we see how much God loves us and how merciful He is and how good He is to us. Colossians 3.70 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. In everything. Once we are saved, then we need to be joined to the body of believers. The church. The church is not a building. The church is not an organization. The church is not a denomination. The church is the people who are called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ through the gospel. Through the door of repentance. Looking to Jesus to grow, develop, and mature spiritually. Seeking Jesus to find out our spiritual gifts that we may serve the body. Seeking and waiting on God for our future husband and wife if we're single. That we don't make those choices ourselves apart from Christ. The person you marry, young people and single people, will be the second most important person in your life that will affect your life for good or for evil. And you will be blessed or you will be devastated. So you better make sure that you are obedient to God in the requirements that he says. Make sure they're a believer. Make sure that you know God has you to be with them. And then once you say, I do, you can't say, I won't. No money back, even with a receipt. <laughs> Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service to prove what is that good, accepting the perfect will of God. Things that are the hope of our calling are as follows. Not exhaustive, but I'll give you some. God has called us to an upward call of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.14. A call is not based on earthly standards. God has called us to be holy in 2 Timothy 1.9. After the character of God, the nature of God. 
God has called us to a heavenly calling, Hebrews 3, 1, after the example of our high priest, Jesus Christ. And there are many things you can go on and read in the Bible. We're called to be prayer warriors. We're called to forgive one another. We're called to serve one another. We're called to uh, love one another and so many different things. We are to constantly ask God to guide and open our eyes in the sphere of the Spirit. First uh, Corinthians 2, 9 through 16, you know the scripture says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's for here and now, not when you get to heaven. And he goes on to say how the natural man does not understand the things that God will receive them, but we who are born again, who are in the sphere of the Spirit, we understand them because we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit itself ministers to us and we can understand the things of God by His grace. Listen to some of these verses in Genesis twenty one nineteen says, And then God opened her eyes. Speaking about Hagar. And she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin of water. And gave it to the lad to drink. Ishmael. Genesis twenty one nineteen. Numbers twenty two thirty one. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. With his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. God opened his eyes. Second Kings six seventeen, and Elisha prayed and, and said, "Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see." Remember Gehazi, his servant. They were in the city of Dothan. The Assyrian army came down and surrounded them. Then the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah, the heavenly host. <laughs> and they said, more are with us than are with them. Luke twenty four thirty one to 32, it says, Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Remember the men on the road to Emmaus? And he vanished from their sight, and they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us? While we, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us, God opens our understanding. He's the one that does this. So the believer is to know the call God has for their life. What is it that God has called you to do? You alone are responsible to know that and to seek that out. And then do it. Secondly, the value God sees in their life, the end of 18, is the second thing he's praying for. The Apostle Paul would declare that our value is based on what God has done. Listen to his words. What are the riches of the glory? The statement comes again. Implying that the intent and purpose of God for a person are knowable and important to be known. The word know applies once again to what God desires a believer to perceive regarding their life. So that word know will apply to all three specific areas. The context is the sphere of the spiritual life in Christ once again. And the seeking and knowing is in order to act upon in obedience. Not simply just have information. Not just simply to know. The process, though in the spirit and in the sphere of the spirit, it is through natural means often. By reading the word of God. By studying the word of God. By meditating on the word of God. By praying according to the word of God. And by judging everything to the word of God. And yet, we're in the sphere of the spirit. That we understand these things. That God deals with our heart. That we're able to see something that someone sees very natural. And we see 
both the natural and we see the spiritual. There's a great difference. The valuable content, notice, is ascribed to God. What are the riches of the glory? Paul is not speaking about earthly things considered as valuable riches, be they material possessions or wealth of silver and gold, be it the value of a person by who they are or what they know. Some people are very valuable because they have a certain knowledge. So they get big bucks because of the field that they're experts in. But Paul is not dealing with none of this. Paul is speaking about the heavenly wealth God bestows on the believer. The word riches is used for valuable possessions that make a person wealthy at times in the scriptures on the physical level. The word in our text is spiritual again in view of salvation and identified as riches of the glory. God's glory. Not ours. It's based on grace, not man's works. We saw that in verse 2 and in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ, verse 3 told us. And the word glory, as we've seen it before, is the word doxa, having the sense of splendor. Brightness with the idea of dignity and honor that belongs only to God, not to man. All three persons of the Godhead being involved in salvation are to be praised for this glory. In verse 6, 12, and 14. Listen to some of them. The riches of the glory Jesus has imparted to us by grace. He forgave us all our sins. He brought, he bought and redeemed us from the slave market. He adopted us as sons and daughters and made us join heirs with Jesus Christ. And he has given to us spiritual gifts to serve him and one another. Wow. Notice the Apostle Paul then declare that we are valuable to God of His inheritance in the saints. The believer is God's possession now, His property. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. We've been bought with the price, Paul tells the Corinthians. The word saint identifies the believer. Hagios, the root word is holy. Um, by our relationship to Him. The same root word is used for the word sanctification to be set apart. So the believer, as a saint, has many benefits. We are, as I said, as sons and daughters. We are in the family of God. We're a peculiar possession, treasure to Him. We are His body, the church. And we are His chaste virgin, that are going to be wed to him. Second Corinthians eleven two and Ephesians five twenty four through twenty six. What a privilege! Now the believer in the future, the church collectively will be his inheritance to be displayed for all eternity. Even as when a man marries his bride, he delights in her. He, he treasures her as people look upon her. The same with Christ Jesus. It's a marriage relationship. It's a parallel that we will see when we get to chapter 5 like no other. The word inheritance means the eternal blessedness of God by us. This sounds almost blasphemous. At first, but remember, we are valuable to Jesus only because He has justified us and made us spiritually alive 
for himself. Our inheritance is the blessedness we have received in him, as we've seen in verse 14. This is speaking of our blessedness to him. We are his inheritance. This will take place at the removal of the church in the rapture. Paul calls it a mystery. We should not all sleep or die. We shall be changed. 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty-one. We shall be caught up together, our puzzle with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and be with the Lord forevermore. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. And as we are caught up, then we will receive our glorified bodies. We will go before the beam of seat of Christ. We will be, have the wedding. And then we'll come back to um, set up the kingdom and have our thousand-year honeymoon here on earth. You know, it's kind of, um, we were a speck of sand before we were born again. Really no value. Common as common can be. And um, Christ made us into a pearl (laughs) of great price. You know, it's like that oyster, it gets that little grain in there and it just irritates so much and all that material excretes and it turns into a pearl. And without Christ, there is no value to our life. We're creating the image and likeness of God. But when we are not born again, we are rebels and enemies of God. You realize the value God places on you. Every saint is valuable to the Lord. That is why he seeks out sinners for repentance. So often people talk about self-esteem and it's even crept into the church um, through Dr. Dobson in the 70s on. How about Christ's esteem? You value yourself because of what Christ has done in you. Not because... You know, you believe in yourself or you believe in your potential or because you believe your father loved you or whatever. No. That's all humanism. That's all marring up the divine revelation. You see, the sin committed in your life or mine is not the problem with God. The duration of our life in sin is not the problem with God. It's the unwillingness to repent that is the problem with God. Because God can't force you or will not force you to repent. Because love has to be willingly. For love to be meaningful and valuable, it must be of one's own will, of one's own submission. And if God is a holy God, then if he would force you, he would violate his own virtue. The triplet parable of Luke reveals the value of God that God places on the saints. If you remember, when we went through Luke 15, in verse 3 through 7, you had the parable that revealed... um, The lost sheep. Now the shepherd left the 99 to seek it. And when he found that one lost sheep, heaven rejoiced in all his friends over one sinner. Then over the 99. In Luke 15, 8 through 10, the parable of the lost coin. That woman. Once it was found, her neighbors rejoiced. Indicating the joy in heaven over one sinner. And then you have from verse 11 to 32, the parable of the two lost sons, both of them lost, by the way. The one who left came back found, saved. The one in the father's house was always lost and remained lost. Do not make a Christian 
who goes back in the world and comes back, don't ever call him a prodigal. That's wrong. That's unbiblical. The one that's called prodigal is because of the type of living he did. Riotous. Evil. He wasn't saved when he left. He wasn't saved when he was out there. He got saved when he had to wrestle with the pigs for food. And he reflected on his life and what he had done. And he repented. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I have sinned against heaven. That's a priority. And you. That's repentance. That's not coming back saved. Or from being saved. It's wrong. And pastors use that all the time. It's absolutely wrong. Both of them were lost. One came back saved. The thought of God towards his children are amazing. The scriptures just expounds on what God thinks about us. Psalm 40 verse 5 says, Many, O Lord, my God, are your wondrous works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God thinks more about us than we think about Him. (laughs) Kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, he thinks of things and methods and plans that we would not even consider or approach because we are always looking for our own self-interest and for the easiest way. (laughs) So we have the less change. He picks the things that cause us to depend on him and to come to the end of ourselves. So that we can become more like Him and dependent on Him. Jeremiah 29 11, we had a whole retreat based on this theme way back in the 80s. He says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord Yahweh, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. The context of that is when God is telling Jeremiah that the whole nation is going into captivity, but he's going to bring them back. What I'm doing doesn't doesn't seem like I'm concerned about you or I'm going to do something with you, but I will. But, But I've got to chasten the nation first. Hmm. We must realize... If we boast, it must be in Christ. For convicting and forgiveness of our sins, who can glory that that came by our own doing? For opening our eyes to the darkness we lived in. I didn't think I was that bad. I was just doing what everybody was doing. And I could always find someone worse than me. For the incredible privilege of being used by him to bring others to Christ. Who can boast that it's because they're so smart? Or because they're so able? Colossians 1.13 says, Jesus delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Wow. You and I are his inheritance. So let's not waste our life or tarnish it. Living a carnal life or 
always living in the past. Living, worrying in about every little thing. Never resting in God. Living without growing and developing and maturing spiritually or serving the church. Always saying, well, you know, as soon as I get through with this job and, you know, as soon as I, you know, get done with this, this thing or you know, whatever it is, there's always something. When God saved you, he included you in the church. When you come to Christ, you have to clean out the garage, spiritually speaking. When I came to Christ, there were a lot of things that I no longer did. A lot of places I no longer went. People I no longer hung out with. The Lord cleaned house. Priorities. And if you will live by priorities, you will have plenty of time, more than enough time, to grow, develop, mature, and serve the Lord and live out your responsibilities with your wife, your husband, your children, and everything else. Guaranteed. And in fact, your life will be enriched. The believer is to know the value God sees in their life. Notice thirdly, the power God gives for their life. He wanted them to know this. The Apostle Paul described the power of God and that it is for the benefit of the believer. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Paul described the boundless potential of the power of God. Boundless. There's no limit. The word to know again applies for the third time here. What God desires the believer to perceive regarding his life in Christ. His power. The context is not speaking about human natural ability. Again. Divine power. The Ephesians had experienced a simple uh, understanding of this power. First of all, by the regeneration of the new birth. As they were born again. Just as you did, I did. Secondly, by sanctification after the new birth. That you were able to live a certain different level of lifestyle after the fact that you were born again. That you never did or desired to before. The description of the power of God is simply that it is omnipotent. All-powerful. There is no limit to it. There is nothing that is greater than that power. The word exceeding is not an adjective, but a verb indicating action in the present active tense. The word exceeding means throwing beyond to surpass or exceed, indicating efficiency of God's power. Upper bolon, like parable, pair alongside, boli to throw. Here, upper, beyond, throwing it beyond. There's nothing that surpasses it. The same word is used to describe the exceeding glory of the covenant of grace in contrast to the covenant of the law in 2 Corinthians 3.10. Greater glory. The word is used for the exceeding riches of God's grace and love in Ephesians 2.7 and Ephesians 3.19. Nothing can surpass the grace of God. Nothing can surpass the love of God. The word greatness complements the word exceeding, giving emphasis to God's power that is omnipotent. It's a compliment. The word appears only this time in the New Testament as a noun. The root word is the word mega. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> mega bucks. <laughs> 
It means something weighty, something great in size or in quantity. The greatness of the power of God is by virtue of who He is, God. So it is sufficient to do anything. Is it limited by nothing? Absolutely nothing. Except me. <laughs> as powerful as God is, the only one that can limit Him in your life is you. I cannot limit God for your life. You cannot limit what God can do in my life. But I can limit God. The psalmist says, they limited the Holy One of Israel in the wilderness journey. God wanted to do so much more. The power of God is of His own being. Dunamis. Indicating inherent power. Residing in something by virtue of its nature. God is the source of his own power, not dependent on anything or anyone outside of himself. In fact, the Bible tells us in the very first verses, in the beginning, God created bara out of nothing, the heavens and the earth. You talk about power. <laughs> out of nothing. He spoke them into being. What a great introduction to the power of God. 120 times in the New Testament, this word dunamis appears, power. We get our word dynamite from it. <laughs> then notice Paul the Apostle declared that the power of God is for the benefit of the believer. Towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The omnipotent power of God that is sufficient and efficient and inherently residing in him is available to you and myself and every believer of every generation. The phrase towards simply means for us in order to have the necessary and effective benefit for our lives. Be it for trials and temptations, be it for difficulties in our relationships with others or with husband and wife, be it for persecution or suffering. It's sufficient and efficient. Those who believe refers to the believer here. The word believe is the one who has trusted Christ, who is saved by him, by his power. This one is continuing to trust and lean on Christ for his supernatural power to live life from day to day. Kind of like a baby attached to the mother with the umbilical cord. Totally dependent. The omnipotent power of God is always made available to equip us for the things God brings and allows in our lives. The phrase working here means and denotes Operative power. He will use it again in chapter 3, verse 7, where he says, Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. We get our word energy from it. Then he uses the word might which means power as an endowment 
or possession of power. In other words, it's having it in my possession, yielding to it. He will use it again in chapter 6, verse 10. Where he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The word power here in our text is kratos and it means manifest of strength. So again, he uses it there in 610 that I just read. Power and might. Both of them are used together. One more time in chapter 6 verse 10, they go together. It is the endowment and possession of power in order to manifest strength. God's strength, not ours. Where I'm not only dependent, but I'm open to it. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm leaning on it to get through this, to, to, to walk, to live, to please Him, to die to self. like a person having electricity in this house but he doesn't plug into it <laughs> unless you plug that thing in you're not going to get any juice you can be in the house but if you don't plug into the electricity it's not going to benefit you In the 39 years that I have um, been in ministry, I've witnessed God's divine power in the lives of many committed believers. Great examples, great encouragement in my life. I've seen couples who have been divorced and separated for over 25 years. And then having come to Christ, they got remarried again. Wow. That's power. (laughs) And be happy. (laughs) I've seen wives who were obedient to the Lord in their difficult marriages. To remain in their marriages not divorcing their husband because God told them, God didn't release them yet, even though they might have had grounds. But they knew God didn't want them to leave. And through their obedience, sometimes I, we saw their husbands get saved. At other times, we saw God give them the release. But the power was in the obedience. To obey. Not just biting the bullet and enduring. But obeying. And walking with Christ. With the joy of the Lord. In spite of the circumstance. In spite of the situation. I've seen bitter hearts be broken and filled with the love of God in many, many circumstances. Some horrible situations, and God took that and just from ashes turned it into beauty. But it didn't happen automatically. It happened through yielding to the love of God, the grace of God, and the power of God. And death to your own will. Later on, Paul will tell us in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. According to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. So be it. Amen. <laughs> The Holy Spirit is sufficient to give us illumination for life to be wise enough to yield to His transforming power. Sufficient enough for us to love our wives and husbands. 
when we don't feel like loving one another. God's love has nothing to do with feelings. It has everything to do with obedience. You obey and you let your emotions catch up to your obedience. Sufficient to strengthen us to raise our children with all the challenges of the day. Hard work. Out of prayer. Out of nights on your knees and asking for God's direction. Wisdom. How do I deal with this child? How do I confront it? Do I say something right now? Do I not? Sufficient enough to transform you and I to be a godly example in the church and to serve the church. The Old Testament, Zechariah 4, 6 says, This is the word of the Lord Yahweh to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. You talk about power. <laughs> and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be continually filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 That is the requirement right before he gets into the family and marriage. If you're not filled with the Spirit, marriage is going to be like playing football without a helmet. It'll get old. And very painful real quick. This life involves spiritual warfare. Make no mistake of that. You are born into warfare. And so am I. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Our blessings are where? In the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6 You should be the first to rebuke yourself. When you're going to be disobedient to Christ. <laughs> you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. First John 4, 4. He's greater. Our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So you put the whole armor on. Your husband and wife get back to back. There's no armor in the back. Don't run. Face the enemy. Look into Christ. The believer is to know the power God gives for their life. And so, Paul gave the result of his petition. Their spiritual illumination by the Holy Spirit in order to know these three specific things. The believer is to know the call of God for their life. The believer is to know the value God sees in their life. And the believer is to know the power God gives for their life. These things I am to know. It's just me and God. No one else. It's very, very personal. Lord, thank you for your grace, your goodness, and your love. And we pray tonight, Lord, you would speak to each of us, Lord. Father, we would look to you. Help us in our difficulties and our tendencies to look to ourselves in our evil hearts and our thoughts that would 
Take us away from you, Lord. That we would continue to put on the new mind, the new man. That we draw close to you, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet. If you believe that Jesus is God who became man, you believe in this divine power we've spoken about, then that is through Christ Jesus, and that He alone can forgive you of your sins, then you can repent. That's what salvation is all about. You nor I can live this life in a way that pleased God apart from Christ. We need a change of heart. We need to be transformed, born again. And so if you want to be born again, right where you sit, or like I said, over the internet, you can just say this prayer right where you're at. And by grace through faith, He will forgive you, and He will make you His child as you come to Him. In the name of Jesus. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.